It's the Should Have Backed It podcast. Two big Group 1s headlined a big day of racing at Caulfield and Randwick. In Sydney, Australia's best horse, Very Elegant, showed an astonishing turn of foot late to take out the George Main Stakes. Further south, Should Have Backed It listeners were celebrating when our black booker, Sierra Sue, stormed home to pit dice roll in the, on the line in the Sir Rupert Clark. To talk us through all the action is Australia's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Venuccio. Welcome, Big V. Uh, we also saw a preview of the Everest in the shorts up at Randwick. Uh, has that race done anything to change your opinion on who wins uh, the Everest in a month's time? Well, hello, Phil. Uh, first of all, I think the, the mantle of the best tipster should go to yourself this week. You had a, a big day on Saturday, I believe. Uh, mate, seeing like watermelons at Caulfield. Couldn't quite get the same role going at Randwick, but uh, yeah, it was a, not a bad day on the punt, I must say. Sometimes you have those, and next week I won't pick a winner, mate. Well, you've got to make hay while the sun shines, as the saying goes, and just when you're on a roll, you just got to take advantage of it when you get a big fill-up. But anyway, with the, the shorts, looking towards the Everest, no, I don't think it, it changes things too much. As always, there's a lot more questions and answers, but I am sort of not... I'm not disappointed that Nature Strip didn't win in the end because I just think his price would have been, you know, maybe half or than what he is now. So I think you're getting a, a decent market where it gives you a lot of options come Everest Day. You can still decide which horse you want to back and you're going to get a decent price. Whereas if Nature Strip had a one, you know, you could have been, you know, as short as two eighty three dollars So you're pretty keen to stick with Nature Strip then? I'm not. There's no reason to jump off him at the moment. Well. Whether I still pick him as my Everest horse come the day, but I just think you look back to the autumn, he got beat by Eduardo. I think I can't remember the race, maybe it was the, I think it was the challenge. I'll have to double check that. But he got beat in his lead up run to the TJ, and he's beaten Eduardo by three, four lengths. So I, I wouldn't be jumping off because he's. This is the preliminary final for a lot of these horses. You know, Nature Strip, Eduardo and Gitra go straight to the Everest now and they'll have a trial. So, yeah, I think a horse like Nature Strip, his first up run was pretty much like a barrier trial. He got a really tough run because of Eduardo and he'll just have a, you know, a trial to tick him off and he'll be ready to peak for the Everest. So I've, I've got no reason to knock him. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Big V. I didn't think yesterday's race really taught us much at all. Uh, all, the, all the horses sort of ran to form in a way because I, I'll just go straight to my should have back, sacked it and should have backed it for the weekend. And my should have sacked it was Mars Crusader and not because I don't think it's a really good chance or a live chance in the Everest, but yesterday, just the way the track was playing, nothing was making ground there at Randwick and it really was set up for one of those leaders being Eduardo uh, Nature Strip or even Rothfire in its first race for a while to, to you know, stick on and, and win. So, yeah, disappointed I actually had a go at Mask Crusader. I'll keep it safe for the Everest, though, and, and, and continue to watch. In the same race, same vein, my back that was Eduardo. I mean, I've jumped off a horse that I'm pretty keen on that I get involved in quite often, and really yesterday was set up well for it or Nature Strip, and you were getting sort of five fifty six dollars Eduardo. So, yeah, a little bit disappointed I didn't get on it. But I thought Big V, uh, another, I mean, the only thing we really learned from my perspective is just that Rothfire and Geetrads have come back pretty well after their long, long layoffs with injury. And, 
you know, if you, you were keen on those horses, I, nothing yesterday would suggest they haven't come back in, um, you know, as good as they were. Dickie? Trail was arguably unlucky not to win. He just had the, the gaps closed on him a couple of times between Eduardo and Nature Strip. But he's, he had a couple of runs in the autumn coming back from injury, whether, whereas Rothfire, that was first up off a near 12-month break. So that was a great run by Rothfire. I don't think he's. I don't think he can win the Everest because I think, you know, coming back from a long injury, it will take a few runs. So we might see him get back to his best if he keeps on. You know, if he keeps everything stays on track, we might see him back to his best. You know, in the autumn and maybe next year's Everest, he might be that horse you look at. So I'm going to put a pen through Rothfire, but I thought he was a great run, but only because you know he is coming back from that long-term injury. Yeah, I thought he stuck on pretty well for fourth there. He easily could have given it up, particularly on that track, and probably didn't have the fitness a couple of the other horses might have had after a run or two, particularly Nature Strip and Mask Crusader. But just on Mask Crusader, um, a few pundits were sort of potting the run after the race. I, I, I'm, I'm keen to stick with it for the Everest, or at least um, give it a show, particularly if, if you, you know, the track does play fairly on the day. Yeah, I thought that was a big run. Mask Crusader. He was in a non-winning position, but I think that's the the question mark you got to have with him is he drew well today, and I thought he might have been closer in the run, but he's just slow out of the gates, and you know he might just have that habit where he's not he doesn't have that gate speed. So that's the the little knock on him. He can win an Everest. It depends on where he draws, but you know if you're expecting him to be closer in the run, you, you might not get that. Yeah, and look, that's probably why I had it as my sacked horse. I knew that it had that trouble getting out of the barriers and any horse that was going to do that yesterday was going to struggle up there. So, yeah, sometimes you've just got to uh, just let them run through to the keeper. And with Eduardo and Nature Ship going back to them, I thought that, you know, a horse like each, as I mentioned before, unlucky not to win, probably a little entitled to get close to them because Eduardo and Nature Strip did set a pretty good tempo. They had a... A big margin on the rest of the field in the run, so I think they were entitled to slow down a little bit and set it up for something to to catch them. So uh, you know, when you get to the grand final time, you know, Eduardo and Nature Strip, they may not go as fast because you know I think sort of that anxiety in those horses get knocked out, and then when you have another trial and go into that Everest, you know, there'll be more of a controlled speed. So that's probably one of the reasons why I'm still sticking with Nature Strip at the, at the moment. And with Eduardo, I think 1,100 in this class is perfect for him. I know he won you know, the 1,200-metre race in Brisbane, but I think that was against inferior opposition. I think you know, the 1,200 of the Everest, you know, maybe you know, that 50 metres too far, but you, know, you can't rule him out. But I think at 1,200, I'd rather be on you know, Nature Strip. Gitra and Mask Crusader, and we'll see how Classic Legend comes back as well. So I think at the moment, I think they're the four horses we're looking at at the Everest. And we've still got half a field that we need to, to fill up as well. Is there any horses that you think might be taking those slots? Well, it's a good point, Big V. I think we've got five or six of the 12 slots now taken. And you remember last year we had... Uh... You know, a three-year-old come up, yes, yes. Oh, no, was it the year before? Yes, yes, yes. But you can get these three-year-olds and these up-and-coming horses come through. And I, I suspect there's a few uh, slot holders that are, are looking at that and not, 
you know, not committing at this point because they know that, you know, form around those couple of weeks before the Everest can be a real driver. Look, I don't have anything particularly that I've been looking at that thinks is a natural Everest horse. I think we've discussed a couple, like on Trevier last week, but it doesn't, on Trevier, sorry, last week, but I'm not sure it's going there. So, yeah, well, I guess we'll wait and see, like a lot of the slot holders. Yeah, I think the, the Moya on Fridays, you know, might unearth a, a few um, a few contenders. I think one horse that might get looked at is the Inferno. I see he's in the market for the Moya, but I'd like to see him at Flemington maybe the week after. I think it was that race that um, uh, Santa Ana Lane ran in before he went to the Everest. So I'd like to see the Inferno down to Flemington straight rather than Mooney Valley because I thought that win at the Valley last start was was enormous by him. So I think he can be a chance as well. Well, all three of those horses, I think, in that run, um, September run, I know he has one of your horses to follow, proven over 1,200, but again, down the straight, sort of it's where it's had its peak form, whether it can get around the turn at Randwick. So certainly plenty of water to go under bridge under the bridge there, Big V. Just We might actually just stick with Sydney for the moment, and we had the George Main Stakes, and very elegant pulling off, I thought, one of her better victories there. Really looked under the hammer uh, as they surrounded the turn, and you know still had to make up five lengths, but really got going late in that in that in that terrain and uh, won well in the end. Yeah, excellent performance. You know, on the soft seven track, I think that helped her as well get through the conditions. Riadini set a really strong tempo. You know, I think Riadini's a chance to you know run well in in the Epsom, but you you go to very elegant, and I think she deserves to have that champion title because I think she's won. Nine group ones now, but I think yeah. they're all been different group ones. Yeah, that's right. And, and and watching the TV broadcast, the point was made that Winx has won thirty group ones, so you can't compare to Winx. But Winx has won Winx won eleven different group one races, and already very elegant won nine different group one races, roughly. So it just shows just her versatility. She can win weight for age. She can win different distances. You know, fourteen hundred to. 2,000, 2,400, 2,500. She's just so versatile and deserves to be labelled champion. She could win on good tracks and wet tracks. Now she won a Turnbull on a good three. She won a Caulfield Cup on a you know soft six, soft five that was you know was probably drying on the day as well. So yeah, she's just a, an outstanding mare, and yeah, I think she deserves to be labelled champion. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess um, with uh, with Winks, I suppose there was a bit of legacy protection going on, certainly late in, in her career. Uh, didn't want to put her into anything that might potentially ruin that or tarnish that streak that she was having. And I think maybe Very Elegant's got the luxury of not having to worry about that. And they can really, you know, throw her into deep end in a lot of these races. And you're right, last prep, she won a Group one over fourteen hundred, and then performed really well in a Melbourne Cup. So, I mean, that's a that's really versatile. And you know, as you said, on a hard track on that Melbourne Cup day, um, and obviously relishes the soft going as well. So, yep, certainly a, a big effort. I'm looking forward to continuing to back her this spring. But one horse you backed yesterday, Big V, and we're coming back to Melbourne now that you you wish you hadn't was Behemoth in the Sir Rupert Clark, taken out by uh, I thought one of our favourites on. They should have backed the podcast, Sierra Sue. Yeah, I gave Behemoth a chance. I thought, you know, the price was good. You know, he's a consistent horse. He always performs. I, I just thought, 
I expected him to be in the 1-1 one, one spot and I thought Craig Williams gave up that position to, I think it was Asa, Indiana. I think when you're carrying 59 kilos, you need the momentum. You can't be stop and starting and picking yourself up with that weight. And, I th- and it's just finding a few backsides in the straight behemoth. Whereas if he was in that 1-1 one, one spot, which he could have got, um, you know, maybe it might have been a different thing. I don't think he was going to win necessarily, but I think if he was going to have any chance of winning that race, he needed to be, you know, building momentum, and he and being the one that had to catch, you know, right in the the last fifty hundred meters, you know, in, at the top of the straight, I knew it was no chance because he he well he wasn't getting runs, and you just can't do that when you're carrying fifty nine kilos, and you know you know the top four finishes will carry all carried 52 or 52 and a half are you telling me big v that weight makes a difference do i need to uh no what, what's going on here what no, have you done I'm with big v uh, it makes a difference so i'm just saying in this instance he needed to have that momentum because you can't be stop starting whereas other horses you know do have that momentum we, we and you see with i'm thunderstruck it was like a pinball at the top of the straight and he was still able to pick himself up and finish strongly, whereas you know Behemoth is he's looking for runs, and then you got to you know, pick yourself up. So I don't, I'm not saying that you know you, you can't carry big weights and and not be able to win. You can, but I think you need to still have that you know momentum behind you. Certainly with Behemoth as well. Just in all seriousness, it's a, it's a very big horse. Needs that sort of galloping room, and yeah, once it loses it, it's hard and. Look, I did think it had its chance at the top of the straight. Uh, Sierra Sue went straight past him, uh, and, you know, I think probably on its inside, sticked up, stuck on pretty well as well in that race. So, look, I, I wouldn't be, you know, knocking too many from that, and just all credit to the winner there, who who didn't have the easiest run, I wouldn't have thought, in transit, and but really came out late and put, put pay to them. Yeah, no, it was a good run. I, I did think, I know he had it as a horse to follow from, last start but I did think he probably needed to find a little bit more in this field because you had some you know good group one horses here like Probabil and Behemoth and you know, I thought Bo Rossa was, would perform a lot better than he did I thought he was disappointing and then you had you know I'm Thunderstruck who I uh, you know I expected him to be last in the run so I wasn't sure you know if he, if he had enough time to make up that ground you know as it turned out he was too far back he's the one to to watch out of this race going to a, a tour app or something. So I, I, I did think that Sierra Sue needed to just find a, a little bit extra, but she was able to do that. Yeah, and, and look, the last start, as we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, wasn't really a guide, was it? We didn't have a real sense for where she was at. So, um, yeah, great run. But on a different note there, Big V, we saw a non-conformist, a horse that's often very hard to catch. Um, and as your should have backed it horse for this week, book its place in the Caulfield Cup, um, in the naturalism there. So that's, I thought that was a pretty good effort. Um, you know, it looked really well placed in that race um, in terms of the field. I'm not usually a backer of nonconformists, but I was on yesterday. And just because it just looked like it, the race was really set up for it to take it out, you know, the distance barrier and just where it settled all sort of worked out the plan. And to be honest, mate, on the turn, I thought how far, but still only just got the job done. Yeah, another horse to come out of the in stakes like Sierra Sue, you know, I just I didn't have him on top because I just, I just thought he's a horse that you know 
he doesn't have that reliability in him yet. No. But he looks like he's just building quite nicely, you know, just from his first up run, you know, sixth behind Sierra Sue in the Lawrence. Then he was beaten only a length in the Fian, and now he's won third up. So we're seeing good progression. Maybe we can see a bit more consistency out of him. I had Traley Rose on top, but maybe she's not ready yet to win at this stage of the campaign, looking towards the Melbourne Cup, Caulfield Cup. So I think with non-conformists, you know, they're probably out there like Delphi to get a Caulfield Cup spot. Yeah, I think with non-conformists, it, it seems to pull off one good run of prep, so that might have been it. So uh, And it usually can be around that third start, so... I was just glad that it happened to be the one time I'll probably back it for the whole prep, which was yesterday, but not going to be one I'm necessarily going to continue to follow. But a couple races where we might be looking to follow a cut horses out of were the two preludes yesterday, Big V, the uh, Caulfield Guineas and 1,000 Guinea preludes. We saw a horse at around $30, $35, Bonza Perla, put in a really amazing performance, I thought, in that 1,000 Guineas prelude. It looked absolutely gone, first beaten at about the four four hundred. And it's somehow, the, the, the whip's come out and somehow it's gone past them all. Um, and Lightsaber, I thought, was a really strong win. It, it stuck out three wide, had to do all the work and, you know, stuck on really well and really strongly. So out of those two, mate, is there anything that really caught your eye? Yeah, I agree with you with the winner of the Thousand Guineas prelude, Bonza Pearl. I just came out of nowhere to win. And then with the Caulfield Guineas prelude, they went pretty slowly. So the first four in the run... Ended up being the first four home. Again, uh, I don't think Craig Williams had the best day on Saturday. He did get the, the winner in the last race, Bella Nipentina, but, you know, it looked a bit dicey in that race as well. In the Guineas prelude, I thought he gave up position with Alpine Edge. He could have led on the rail instead. He, he gave up that spot to military expert and just held up and just couldn't get a run, which might have cost him. And that's allowed Lightsaber to hold on and, and get the win. But just It comes down to whether Animo is coming down for the Caulfield Guineas. Because I think if Animo comes down, if Animo wins the Golden Eagle, uh, not the Golden Eagle, sorry, the Golden Rose, and then comes down for the Guineas, I think it's all over. But if, but if not, the Caulfield Guineas is, is pretty much open. And, and a horse like Lightsaber or Alpine Edge can take it out because they'll be running against each other again. Yeah, that's right, mate. I think that's pretty uh, good analysis on that one. And just on Craig Williams, uh, I see he's picked himself up a 10-day suspension out of the meeting as well, which might go to your theory that he wasn't quite on yesterday. Um, I was on Bella Nipotina in the last and I had my heart in my mouth for most of the straight with it stuck in traffic. But, yeah, I, uh, any, any word on that, mate? It wasn't a particularly uh, glamorous day for him, I don't think. No, well, I, that's the first I'm hearing about the the suspension he's got, so I, I don't know what race he got it out of. But, yeah, I just think maybe his just judgment was a little bit off. I think being on the best horse in the last race, you know, maybe, you know, saved him a bit of embarrassment with Bella Nipentina because, you know, he was he was stuck for a while. And, I, you know, another 20 to 50 metres, I don't think Bella Nipentina wins that race. So, I just, yeah, I just thought on the day he was just, you know, handing up, you know, position when he, he probably should have just held his ground and, you know, could have made a, a bit of a difference with Alpine Edge in the Guineas prelude. But just going back to the um, the 1,000 Guineas prelude, uh, I just think with uh, the 1,000 Guineas, Zuzarella is a 
is she's a dominant favourite, but you're still getting a good price with her four dollars. So I think her price will probably shorten as we get closer to the thousand guineas. Um, it's just it looks like a really open race this year. So you know something might come out from a midweeker or a, you know one of one of these maiden races and and could could be a surprise in the thousand guineas because I don't think this group of fillies are overly dominant. Yeah, just on the on the Craig Williams suspension, Big V, he picked that up on Behemoth uh, there in the Sir Rupert Clark. So uh, obviously didn't quite get his horse lined up down the straight, as you were probably suggesting there, and it's cost him, yeah, 10 days uh, moving forward, which, you know, with jockey, our jockey uh, stocks at the moment looking pretty light on with a few of the others being suspended, and we can talk about that a little later, Big V. That's uh, another premier hoop that won't be around for at least one Saturday. Yeah, it just opens up some opportunities for other jockeys, you know, like a, you know someone like um, Maskeel and Linda Meach, you know, both getting wins on Saturday. So I think, um, you know, some of these jockeys we haven't, we haven't been seeing for a while, you know, will get their chance. So I think, you know, there's enough jockeys around. You know, whether we have the depth of qualities and, is another thing, but you know, it'll just give other riders the opportunities. Well, actually, Matt, that's a reasonable segue, and you might have gone some way to answering it already, but we had a, a listener question come in on our Twitter handle over the weekend from Cameron Jansen, a long-time listener of the podcast, and he had a question for us, mate, so I might just uh, throw that at you, and it does relate to this. He said, keen to get your comments on the impact of lack of jockey movement across borders this spring. Uh, will the suspensions in Melbourne have a particular impact? So I think there's probably two points to that question. Obviously, some of the Sydney jockeys and other jockeys from other states might not make the trip to Melbourne. But also, you know, we have lost a couple of riders, including, you know, the number one rider in Victoria last year, Jamie Carr. So uh, thoughts on that, Big V? I guess it goes to what you were just mentioning. Yeah, I think pretty much what I said before. It depends on how many horses are going to come down from Sydney as well. Now, if we're not getting a, a big, you know, big group of horses coming down, you know, we're not going to have you know big field sizes where it's going to be a big issue. And we we might see an issue when we get to the Melbourne Cup when we've got to find <laughs> jockeys, and we're not getting international jockeys coming down as well. So that's going to be a big test for races like the Melbourne Cup and Caulfield Cup, where we're going to find eighteen jockeys, twenty four jockeys. You know, we're probably going to get a situation where jockeys are riding in the country and then having to travel to Caulfield and Flemington to ride in a, in a couple of races or vice versa, that type of thing. Oh, mate, if you lose a couple of kilos, Big V, you might be able to score yourself a ride on one of those big no, days by the sounds of it. No, be too tall, I think. <laughs> too, <laughs> too tall. Too tall, but you're, you've got the racing background. You, you would have ridden a few horses oh, at the time. Yeah, look, I, I'd feel sorry for any horse that had to lug me around, Big V. It certainly would impact its uh, answers, I would have thought. But, you yeah, have I... nuggety your over and the yeah, not quite anymore, Big V. But, um, yeah, no, it's a good point. And I do think there is a gulf between the real top riders and the and the up-and-comers. And I do like your point that it will give some of those up-and-coming riders that opportunity, which I think is fantastic. And as you said, jockeys like Linda Meach, she's just about the best front-running jockey going around and does give the, her and others good opportunities. But I actually think it will have an impact. I, I do think that these better jockeys... They really the cream rise to the top in that some of these real big races where the pressure's on, you know, you've got the top quality horses. You, this, it's grand final day. I think it can make a difference. So, 
you know, in those bigger races, I will be having a little look on who's riding and just making sure that there are top jockeys on top, on my on my mounts because, yeah, I think it can make a difference. Yeah, and another jockey I should have mentioned was Daniel Moore, who won the the Group One yeah. on Saturday, and I read that he's I think he's it was his birthday. I think he turned thirty seven, and that was his first Group One in Australia. So to do that at you know thirty seven, oh, I was just um, remarkable. I would have thought he might have had a you know, a couple in Australia, but that was his first. Yeah, and I wonder how many rides he's had in Group 1s before. You know, sometimes it does present these opportunities, and I think that's sometimes good for the for the industry as well. It, it tells a nice story when it's not the same faces you're seeing every time getting off the horses, and uh, similarly with trainers where you see, you know, it's not the same trainers winning every time. But speaking of winning every time, Big V, we need to know who we're following moving forward out of yesterday's meeting. I think you made a plea to punters after at the end of last week's podcast to make sure you're on Anavisto, which turned out to be some very good advice. Uh, who are we on uh, moving forward out of, out of this week? Well, from the Anavisto race, and uh, yeah, that actually was a, a good win. I managed to get 280 because she was the on a difficult betting date. She wasn't missed by the punters. A three dollar forty opening price, and she. Her starting price on Saturday was two twenty five. Got to as low as two ten. So that was a, a good win for punters around Australia, I reckon. But from that race, Star Rail, I could not believe that she started seventy one dollars. <laughs> Only three starts ago, she won the Group Two Cuny in March. I put her in my top four in my numbers for that race, and she was thirty four dollars, forty one dollars at the time. So she's even drifted on the day to seventy one dollars. Uh, I thought that was, I thought she was over the odds. She's one to keep an eye out, you know, maybe for, you know, around you know, 1,800, 2,000. So I wouldn't back her next start yet. Just want to see see her do it again. She's one to keep an eye on down the track. And from the Sir Rupert Clark stakes, as mentioned before, I'm Thunderstruck. It looks like a good contender for the Turak Handicap. Just on Starrell, if you're getting $71, surely you're having a little go each way, Big V. She's only just missed out by, you know, a nose for third yesterday, and I'm sure the place odds weren't too bad. Certainly better than the win odds for Ana Visto. Yeah, well, she didn't get the place, though, so you would have done your money anyway. <laughs> so I, I only worry about getting money back into my pockets. I don't worry about having to throw a few dollars because they're over the odds. You've got to think that they're going to be a winning chance or a top three chance to do that. You don't get paid out for, for good oh, runs. Over the, the odds. Over the odds. That's the only margin you'll ever get off the bookies, mate. You have to get them when they're over the odds. Anyway. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, you go over the odds, but you, there's still got to be winning chances. Like, I thought 280 was, was still a good price round of this, though, because I thought she was going to win. But, um, you know, if I got if I got paid out for running fourths, I'd be a rich man because I, I just seem to <laughs> back a lot of fourths. Well, speaking of horses that were over the odds yesterday, Big V, I've got one as a horse to follow uh, out of the last there that Bella Nipotino won, and that's Chassis. It started $13 yesterday. This is a horse that almost got Probabil last start. So I thought that was a massive overs for that horse. And to be honest, if uh, Bella Nipotino didn't get that run, it wins. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Chassis. I actually had it as the Cornella horse with Bella Nipotino because of that second to Probabil and really made Probabil earn that win. And I was surprised that, you know, she's she's gone she's got out to twelve dollars on as her starting price. Yeah, I couldn't believe it, mate. I was I was too busy uh 
all all in on the favourite to to really get into it. But yeah, it's thirteen dollars really stood out. But um, the other couple I think that you can continue to follow. I think we can continue to follow Ana Vista off yesterday. Bigger and better things. Um, I think it was a benchmark ninety yesterday, but the, it was definitely a, a higher quality race than that. And yeah, Montefilia as well ran a nice little second uh, up north, and certainly um, now I think is ready to strike third up. Uh, speaking of striking, Big V, uh, we fired up the at Shooter back to Twitter handle yesterday uh, and put our best bets for the day. And how did you go out of interest? I think I got two from two personally. You got, you got two. Picked a few shorties. Oh, uh, load them up, mate. Work. Just load them up together. You're laughing. Yeah. And I, uh, I did take a risk with Behemoth. So yeah, I'll do. I'll, I'll try to do better next time and go two for two. Maybe I might put Animo and Zaki as my two next week. Oh, we can combine those up and you can get maybe $1.50 combined. But, yeah, no, that's a good point, Big V, but it's also a good point for our should have backed it listeners. I know we had a couple of punters do a little parlay with some of our bets and have a nice day, so certainly not a bad thing to look out early on a Saturday. That's all. That's on Saturday. Didn't want to share Sierra Sue or... Non-conformist to everyone. No, I just showed you after the fact a little bit, didn't I? But I did sort of let you know that Bella Nipotina was the one to watch in the last. But that's all we've got time for this week on the Should Have Backed It podcast. Big V, in one, two, or maybe three words, who wins the brown load tonight? I want to go Clayton Oliver. I think that's a pretty fair bet. You're probably getting around 350 for him at the moment and parlay that into a uh, into a, a premiership by the end of the week, according to yeah, you. Yeah, I saw, I saw $4 for him. Second favourite, the um, Port Adelaide player was the favourite. Yeah, Ollie Wines, I think you can get three twenty-five for. He's probably my top bet, but if you wanted something a little bit odd, so I think Petrarca at 13 is not a bad little go, but uh, we'll see by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be either, we'll know the answer to that big V, so we're going to either look good or bad there, but thanks to all our listeners. I hope you had a good day like we did yesterday on the punt at Caulfield and Randwick, uh, and as always, good luck on the punt.